We're in Jeremiah chapter 18 tonight. Jeremiah 18. And we'll be going up to chapter 20. Jeremiah 18 through 20. And while you find Jeremiah 18, I'll continue to remind you guys that the, the way our reading schedule has been put together, it's through a series of messages that Jeremiah is delivering. And each of them begin with the phrase of the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. That phrase, the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord signifies, this is a title. This is what I'm about to do. This is it. This is a new phase. This is a new word that God gave to me and I'm going to declare. So we got chapters 18 through 20. This is a word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. And let's read chapter 18, 1 through 12. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Arise and go down to the potter's house. And there... I will let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house, and there the potter was working at his wheel. And the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand. And he reworked it into another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to do. Then the word of the Lord came to me, O house of Israel, or as Pastor Mike has pointed out, insert your name. O house of Charlene. O John. O Billy. O Ruby. O Mike. O Gus. Can I not do with you as the potter has done? Declares the Lord. Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O Brandon, O house of Israel. If at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it, and if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, returns to me, I will relent of the disaster that I intended to do to it. Or put another way, if I say I'm going to destroy you and you repent and come back to me, I will change my mind. Verse 9, and if at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will build and plant it, and if it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, then I will relent of the good that I had intended to do to it. So if on the flip side I say good things about you, but you say I don't want your good things, well, you're going to walk in a path of bad things. <laughs> Verse 11. Now, therefore, say to the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, thus says the Lord, behold, I am shaping disaster against you and devising a plan against you. Return everyone from his evil way and amend your ways and your deeds. But they say, this is in vain. We will follow our own plans and will everyone act according to the stubbornness of his evil heart. We have here a very common, familiar, popular imagery that Jeremiah uses. We have songs about it. We have ministries named after it. And we even have certain potters within the church who come around to churches and do demonstrations of it. 
It's the imagery of clay being in a potter's hands and how the potter is a master and he has a vision for this lump of earth. And he, with his hands and his, his creativity, looks at it, has a plan and says, this is what I want you to be. And he begins to shape it and construct it and go through this entire process of making this lump of worthless dirt worthless clay, worthless earth, and forming out of that worthlessness something that is useful and beautiful. And not every pot turns out the same. You see, we're not talking about pottery and vessels that come and are spit out of some factory. These things are handmade by human hands. It means that there's a unique touch to each and every single one of them. That no two vessel created is going to be the exact same. Even if it has the same purpose in mind. And even if the potter wanted to make two similar ones. There's going to be something slightly different about this one than that one. And what Jeremiah does is he calls us to this definitely common then. But even to our day, common for us. He calls us to this metaphor that's common And says, I want you to know that you as human beings are like clay in a potter's hands. That God is like a potter. And he looks at each and every one of us and says, you're not just a lump of earth. You're not just an accident, a side effect, something that's just there. There's intention behind this lumpiness, behind this earth, behind this dust. And I have a vision for it. And I'm going to, oh, it might not be comfortable to be probed at and to be shaped and to be smashed down and, and all these things that the potter does to the clay. But I'm taking it somewhere. And what's cool about pottery is that pottery is very useful. In fact, some people have pointed out that Humanity was pretty much a nomadic people group that moved from one place to another. You know, as you ran out of grains, like, okay, we got to go find grain somewhere else. And they would move around until suddenly the invention of pottery. And now suddenly you had a container and you could keep stuff in something. And this was revolutionary. It meant I don't have to move all the time. I can just store things and keep it in pottery. And now we can become more civilized and we can begin to settle down and, and, and become fruitful and grow up and advance. Pottery is very useful. It carries things. It holds things. But it's not just a mere function. It's not just something that a potter makes to say, oh yeah, I'm getting my job done with that. I'm going to make a couple bucks off of this piece of pottery. Pottery is also beautiful. It's a far cry from the Tupperware we use today. That these things were designed and thought out by a creative person. And that his hands got dirty And that he worked over it and shaped it and crafted it. And there were imperfections that he had to knock off along the way. So pottery isn't just useful, but it's also beautiful. And that's why I find, and I think Jeremiah too says, this is a great combination. This is a great metaphor, great picture for us. Because we are just like the pottery here. God is wanting to make us useful and beautiful. And that's what we see Jeremiah telling Israel here tonight in chapter 18, 19, and 20, is that God shapes us like a potter over clay. God shapes us into something that is both useful and beautiful. 
And that to me is so comforting to know that I'm not just being thrown out on the line and God's like, I'm just going to use you to do this. You're going to become my container to carry this message to these people and to carry my glory to those people and boom, just go. He along the crafting me, informing me and shaping me and sending me to be that container, to be useful, is also concerned about me, myself, that he's going to make me beautiful in that process. That it's not just a whole Tupperware thing. Like, yeah, whatever, you square piece of plastic, go. Pottery with shapes, with colors, with art. No two the same, but each specially created and designed. That is what Jeremiah wants us to hear. And I think that Jeremiah heard this first himself. As he's this great prophet this vessel, this container to carry God's message to the people, but he's at the same time experiencing rejection. Remember last night, last week, pardon me, we saw that his own hometown had betrayed him and were plotting against his life. And he's probably thinking, God, what is up with this? This is a bad deal. I am here like risking my life for you and that's all you care about? And yet he had to be told from God, settle down, Jeremiah, go to the potter's house And see there that I didn't just form you to carry my message. I'm also caring about my image within you. I care about your beauty. I don't want to just fill you and go send you out. I also want to fulfill you as I fill you. You're not just going to go do stuff. You're going to be somebody too. I care deeply about your soul, Jeremiah. I care deeply about your entire personhood and your life. And I want you to live wholeheartedly. I want you to live fulfilled without cracks and holes. And I want you to be filled with the glory of me. And then in the abundance and overflow of this beauty that I'm creating into you, I want that to spill out into usefulness. See, Jeremiah is beginning to see a very different message than what he had assumed God isn't just whipping him into action. God is forming him into something beautiful, then useful. And the more beautiful that God makes us, I believe the more useful we will be for him. Nobody wants to listen to some ugly pot tell you what to do. But something that's attractive and says that I know the creator of this universe and I know the one who made me and I am most put together and I'm most fulfilled and beautiful when I am in his shaping hands. And so that is the heart of our text is that God shapes us into something that is useful and beautiful and that the two work together. So he shapes us. My question as we go through our passage tonight is, do you know your shape? (laughs) God is shaping us, and we often walk away and say, that's really cool, that's uplifting. But stop a minute. Do you know how and why and what for God is shaping you? Some vessels contained oil, others wheat, others water. Some just looked cool on a shelf, like many of your books. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) And other vessels were used to move things you didn't want in the house, out of the house. There were many uses for vessels. 
Do you know your shape? Do you know what that beautiful and what that useful is? Acronym. Do that shape is an acronym that stands for discovering your shape. S. It stands for your spiritual gifts. What are your spiritual gifts? What has God given to you unique through the power of his grace within you? What has that made you to do for him? Spiritual gifts. Some of us are great encouragers. We have this compassionate gift of mercy. We're hospitable. We can teach. We are generous. We're, we have leadership abilities. We, we can connect with the human heart in ways that others can't. There's spiritual gifts in this room. H, we all have a heart, a passion for something And my spiritual gift will be channeled towards my heart for that or my passion in that. A, your ability. We all have abilities. In fact, I'm a firm believer that everybody in this room has an ability in something that is greater than my ability in that thing. And that if we realize the abilities in this room, we would see that we would hit so many different abilities. And P, your personality is part of your shape. God has given you a personality. Some of us are introverted. Some of us are extroverted. Some of us are charismatic. And some of us are, I don't charismatic. I don't know. <laughs> we all have a personality that's been part of what God has said when he's shaping and forming us. It's part of the beauty is that personality. And E, your experience. Things we've gone through along the way of life, sometimes those can be disregarded and be like, that doesn't matter at all. Especially moments like pain. And we say, I wish that never happened. But God wants to say that your past pain and joys and experiences are all part of the shaping process. And none of them should be disregarded. And these things combined is, what we ha- is how we realize our shape, our spiritual gifts, our heart and passion for things, our abilities, our personality, and our experience. These make our shape. And God shapes us into something that's useful and beautiful. So that is the beautiful metaphor that Jeremiah uses here between the potter and the clay. The one who's making it beautiful and useful and shaping it in his hands. And this would no doubt be useful for Jeremiah. We looked last week, right, at his confessions. You remember that? His, his prayers. It, confession is just this technical name for a prayer that means it's honest and real. Like, it doesn't withhold what it's really thinking before God. And it just kind of lays it out there. Jeremiah's prayers were twofold, remember? First, he was real with God, and then God responded in the conversation in order to heal him. And we have now, in this section, Jeremiah's last two confessions, these real prayers with God. And they're maybe the worst of them all. (laughs) They're very, you can sense this internal war within Jeremiah the prophet. As he's looking at the potter and the clay, as he's in that potter's house, observing this, there is a battle inside of Jeremiah. There's this internal war against the man, Jeremiah, and the prophet, Jeremiah. The man, Jeremiah, who wants to be accepted, 
who wants just to have a normal life where he can get married and do the simple pleasures he wants to do. But then there's the prophet Jeremiah, who's been called to isolation, who's been called to something totally different, who's carrying a hard message that people don't like and are rejecting him and threading plots against his life. This is warring within Jeremiah. The man versus the prophet or his shape versus his shame. So in chapter 20, verse 7, we see that this is one of these honest prayers Jeremiah gives. And what's happening is in chapter 19, Jeremiah had to go and deliver a difficult message to the rulers of Israel. They went down to this valley where they sacrificed children to idols. And Jeremiah in that valley took, probably from the potter's house, a vessel, a little pot, a clay thing. And he's telling the leaders about how, oh, they've gone away from the Lord, da 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 And they're probably like, okay, Jeremiah, you're doing the same old thing again. And at the very end, in 19 verse 10, it says God tells him to break the flask before them. Just throw it on the ground and shatter it. And, and as they see the pieces there, let them know that that's going to happen to them in Jerusalem. They're like, oh, this is serious. And he goes to the temple and continues to preach. Maybe the same message, we don't know. It just says he preached in the temple. And in chapter 20, this guy who's in charge of the things in the temple named Pashur, he comes and he says, for sure, Jeremiah, I don't like your message. So he puts him in the stocks, binds him up and beats him and leaves him there overnight for everybody to laugh and taunt at Jeremiah as they go in and out of the temple to, quote, worship. So Jeremiah is being taunted, he's now imprisoned, and he's been beaten, whipped with the lash. And then, in light of all of this, <laughs> he prays a major complaint. <laughs> Verse 7 of chapter 20. Oh Lord, you have deceived me, and I was deceived. You are stronger than I, and you have prevailed. <laughs> Now, quite literally in the Hebrew, this is actually reading something more like, Oh Lord, you seduced me and prevailed because you were stronger. Or let me just say super blunt. You seduced me and raped me. That idea is not foreign in the Hebrew. This is a serious accusation that Jeremiah brings before God. You deceived me and only because you were stronger than me did I have to do this and become your vessel carrying your message around. You deceived me. You told me this was going to be glorious. I'm going to give you my words and I'm going to be a famous prophet. I'm going to have a book in the canon of the scriptures and you deceived me. You didn't tell me Pashur was going to beat me and I was going to be in the stocks and in prison and that everyone was going to reject me and that I couldn't get married and all these things he keeps whining about. God deceived him, it sounds like. He continues. Middle seven, I have become a laughingstock all the day. Everyone mocks me. For whenever I speak, I cry out. I shout, violence and destruction. For the word of the Lord has become for me a reproach and derision all day long. God, your words have just become bitter nastiness to me. Verse eight, nine. If I say, I'm done. I won't mention him or speak any more in his name then there is a fire in my heart shut up in my bones and I am weary with holding it in and I can't. I want to stop 
But this message that God has filled his vessel with is so strong and it's so a part of Jeremiah's own existence that to shut up would be to die. This is his life now. But you can hear the struggle and the battle inside Jeremiah the man. I'm done. You deceived me, Jeremiah the prophet. But if I shut up, I no longer have a purpose in living. What do I want? What do I do? Who am I? Verse 10. For I hear many whispering, terror is on every side. Denounce him. Let us denounce him. Say all my close friends watching for my fall. Perhaps he will be deceived. Then we can overcome him and take our vengeance upon him. But the Lord is with me as a dread warrior. Therefore, my persecutors will stumble. They will not overcome. They will be greatly shamed for they will not succeed. Their eternal dishonor will never be forgotten. O Lord of hosts who tests the righteous, who sees the heart and the mind, let me see your vengeance upon them. For to you have I committed my case, my cause. Singing to the Lord, praise, again, it keeps going. Then verse 14, it gets even worse. You're going to hear him literally quoting Job here. This is how bad he feels. Verse 14, cursed be the day that I was born. The day when my mother bore me, let it not be blessed. Cursed be the man who brought me, who brought the news to my father. A son is born, making him very glad. Let that, let that man be like the cities that the Lord overthrew without pity. Let him hear a cry in the morning and an alarm at noon because he did not kill me in the womb. He wishes he was aborted. So my mother would have become my grave and her womb forever great. And here's the age-old question, the age-old word. Why? Why did I come out from the womb to see toil and sorrow and spend my days in shame? Why? And he uses phrases from the book of Job because he can't use stronger language than Job's. There's no stronger anguish in the Bible than Job's. He quotes Job. He says, everybody wants to kill me. I'm done. I quit. I feel like God lied to me about this whole thing. And yet at the same time, verse 9 looms with this burning glow, this fire shut up in Jeremiah that he has to preach. Who am I? Why am I here? Why am I born? It's the man versus the prophet. It's my shame and everything that everybody's bringing against me and this non-acceptance and this thing that I feel inadequate and unloved by everybody versus the shape God has formed me into. Man, what a conflict. How does Jeremiah wrestle with these things within him, this internal battle, this I'm not okay with who I am, but at the same time, I somehow know that God made me who I am. How do I learn to embrace my shape and get over my shame? In 18 verse 2, God makes it very clear to Jeremiah what he needs to do. Go down to the potter's house. And there I will let you hear my words. 
Now, what's interesting is that the word potter, which is used many times in chapter 18, is the Hebrew word yazer. Yazer is the same word that God used in chapter 1, verse 5, when he called Jeremiah to be a prophet. Do you remember what he said to Jeremiah? Before you were born, while you were in your mother's womb, I yazered you. I formed you. I shaped you. And now he's told to go to the house of Yazer and watch him form and shape clay. What God is telling Jeremiah is, Jeremiah, remember your roots. Remember he who called you to this. And remember what I told you when I called you. That there was a purpose from the very beginning. That from before your mother's womb, I have been a potter. I've been a yazer over your life. And I have been forming. I have been shaping you from there to here. None of this surprises me, Jeremiah. So Jeremiah goes to the potter's house and there realizes that he is a shape. And it's from God's own hand. The problem and struggle with shame, this feeling of I made a mistake in the past, therefore I'm unusable and I'm not beautiful, or this feeling of I am inadequate, or I will be more worthy when you fill in the blank with what you're looking and yearning for. The problem with that, that shame, is that shame leads us to believe we are shapeless. As God shapes us and tells us, I, you are useful and beautiful, shame does the opposite. And it begins to deconstruct our shape into this nothingness and says, I don't even know, I'm, I'm not useful, I'm not beautiful. I don't even know who I am. I don't even, I, I can't, I'm just going to sit passively and die old and comfortably. And I'm not going to use my spiritual gifts, my abilities, my heart, my experiences, and my passion. I'm not going to use any of that. My personality, because I have lost my shape. Shame has shaped me back into a ball of clay. In 18 verse 14, this is the picture that is picked up. It's that shame makes us like melted snow. It says in 1814, does the snow of Lebanon leave the crags of Syrian? Does the mountain waters run dry, the cold flowing streams? And the picture Jeremiah is creating there is you have your really high mountains and in the crags and cracks and crevices of the mountain, you have the snow. And of course, you know, in the winter, the whole thing's white. But as it all begins to melt away, you always still see little remnants of snow tucked away in the little cracks and crags and crevices of the mountain. And as long as that snow stays on the mountain, it's going to have a shape. It's going to stay snow. But as soon as that snow is removed from that cold elevation and put elsewhere, the snow begins to melt and it becomes shapeless and it just trickles into water and becomes nothing. It evaporates. It gets drunk here. It just soaks into the earth. And this is the danger of shame. Is, is it dislocates us from the potter's house. 
and causes us to melt into oblivion where we have this pity party for ourselves and we're no longer usable or beautiful. And when we get to that point and we let shame shape us in that or deshape us in that way, we then become vulnerable to being used by anybody in any way. Which is slavery? Which is the state, I would say, of most people in the world? Because we don't know who we are. We don't know our shape. And we've allowed failures and insufficiencies and inadequacies and rejection in our past to shape us by shame. And we become this melted blob of snow. So the hope then is for Jeremiah to go to the potter's house and see the Yazer and remember that you are a work of Yazer. You have been formed and shaped. But as he's there looking, there's another thing we need to realize is not that we're the clay, although that's true, but we also need to realize that God is the potter. He's the Yazer. He's the former, the shaper. Not me, not you. And that is so often the temptation in moments of shame or moments of inadequacy or wherever we live. We, we want to be the potter ourselves. And this isn't like just us. This is totally the audience that Jeremiah was speaking to. You notice in 18 verse 12, he's done telling him about the potter and the clay. And it says in verse 12, but they say, this is in vain. In other words, your words are stupid, empty bubbles. We will follow our own plans and will everyone act according to the stubbornness of his evil heart. We'll do it our way. We don't need a yazer. We can mold ourselves and shape ourselves and cast our own image out into society and tell us that we feel really good about ourselves and pat each other on the back for our wickedness or our other means and ways of living. And there's this little club of we are the potters. But interestingly, when Jeremiah there says that, or when they say that we will, everyone act according to the stubbornness of his evil heart. Stubbornness in Hebrew is also translated hardness. We're going to act in a hard way. In other words, we're stuck in our stubbornness. We're going to go this way and we're not going to bend or flex. We're now hard. And that's the only time clay becomes unshapeable is when the clay hardens. God can use every and any of our past mistakes and our shame and our failures because we are nothing that he can't shape. Clay is always shapeable until it says, I am the potter and you will not shape me. Then it becomes hard. And then it becomes the flask that Jeremiah shatters on the ground in chapter 19. This is what's coming, Israel. So we must realize that the potter is God, not ourselves. And as we become hard by wanting our own way, we then become broken in the kind of way that Jeremiah says in chapter 19 that cannot be mended. So there's this phenomenon today. I'm sure it's happened forever, but we're very keenly aware of it today of self-shaping. 
We don't entrust our lives into the hands of the potter anymore. We are very keenly aware of our weaknesses, our failures, things we don't like about ourselves. We have the internal battle within each and every side of one inside of each and every one of us, like Jeremiah, am I, am I going to be the man I, my gut wants to be, or am I going to be the prophet God has shaped me to be? Am I going to form shame into something beautiful in my own hands, or am I going to go ahead and go with what God has shaped me to be? And there's this, there's this tension inside of all of us, and we feel it worse about junior high and high school. And some of us maybe have grown up past that, but I have a sad suspicion that a lot of us still live in that inner conflict and inner war about who we are that started in high school and has carried us on all the way to this day. And the way we cope, the way we cope with that question, why was I made in this shape, is by shaping ourselves into the shape we want to be. My generation has Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, uh, um, Snapchat, and go down this list of different social medias that we all have as a convenient way for us to shape ourselves. It's self-shaping. What, what gets posted in social media? The things you want other people to see about you. And it's also a cesspool of shame because the casual observer who's looking at his, all of his other friends' posts and things and look what I'm doing and I'm here and I've got this going on and <laughs> and I'm having a baby and I got married and you're looking at all this and you're like, and you sit there and you, you see the image, the self-shaping that's going on in people's lives. And you're thinking, my life's not like that. They always have a cool time. They always are doing the fun stuff. Their life is meaningful. Look at their job. And you look at yourself and you just get smaller. And you like your shape less and less. Because you see all these other people and, and what we need to realize is that these are nothing but self-shaped images. People who are choosing what they want you to see about them. And I know I'm talking about social media because it's the most obvious. But we have all forever and ever and ever had our own means of self-shaping. How do we tell stories about ourselves? How do we talk about our careers and the things that we do and our education and the possessions we own, and the homes we've had, and the people we know. Oh, we all have heard the story. We hear people talk. And when we hear people talk, we're like, man, I'm not like that. This guy's an awesome shape. I want his shape. I feel so out of shape. But what we need to realize is everybody's working from the same premise of insecurity. And they are talking up and shaping themselves but we're left looking, thinking I'm worthless. It's been on my mind the whole time. <laughs> the Native American Indians had this custom when they would come back from war. Uh, the parties, 
you know, the war party would gather, they'd have the campfire and the entire village would gather around and celebrate the fact that they had victory and stuff. And in order to encourage courage in the war and, and to bring up honor amongst the people, they encouraged soldiers to talk about their stories on the battlefield. That was proper. They encouraged the soldiers to talk about their experiences in order to instill honor and admiration and, you know, in the ears of everybody else. But what they did was they didn't allow you just to get up and talk about yourself and to shape yourself into some image you want everybody else to see you. Because the condition was that soldiers could come up and talk about their battle and their heroics and their deeds on the condition that somebody else affirmed 100% accuracy in every detail that you said. And I wonder how differently we would look in each other's eyes and how much more secure we'd all feel about our shape if that same principle was applied in culture today. That we could only talk about ourselves in a certain way, shape our social image in a certain way, if there was always somebody who had to 100% agree with every detail. So this is where we've gotten because we think we're the potter and we let shame shape us into what we want ourselves to look like. But this is what I want us to hear. I want us to hear that we don't have to let shame shape us. We get to let God shape our shame into something that is useful and beautiful. We don't have to run from it. We don't have to be the ones to reconstruct it. We simply need to realize that our mistakes and the things we don't like about ourselves and all these things that shame breeds upon, that is all clay. It's all part of me. And as long as it's clay and not hardened stubbornness, the former can form it. The shaper can shape it. The potter can make it beautiful and useful. So if the gospel is real like we claim it is, if the gospel is real, we must be real. If we continue to throw out this self-shaped image to the world and claim that our gospel is real, they're going to see our fakeness and hear our message and say, they must be hypocrites. Oh, wait, they're not saying that at all, are they? <laughs> if the gospel is real, we must be real and let go of a self-shaping image and allow the potter to shape us, to know our shape, and to embrace our shape and to live in it, believing that we're not made this way just to be useful, but also to be beautiful. And that as we all embrace this and stop the self-shaping images, we will all become more collected and realize that we are all shaped by the same potter. It wasn't that my potter is better than your potter and therefore you're inferior to me or vice versa. We're all pots from the same potter. 
And the differences aren't because this is more beautiful than that one. The potter wouldn't deal with that. The potter, if one came out more beautiful than the other, the potter would do what Jeremiah saw. He would start it over. As the clay was marred in his hands, he pressed it down and started it all over and shaped something new. See, that can't be the case. It's not that any of us are more beautiful than others. We're all equally beautiful because the potter put you on display. The differences are a matter of function and usefulness. Our shapes are being used for different purposes. The beauty is equal. The usefulness is equal. It just has diversity. And as someone in this church, I think it was Denny, someone told me uh, legalism conforms everybody to the same. Grace allows for diversity. So God, I believe, according to Jeremiah 18, in this context, God recycles. <laughs> when we are marred and we are spoiled clay, he doesn't say it's the clay's fault and throws it away. The potter just says, oh, silly clay, I'm going to start over. And you might have seen it before. They just press it all the way down and start from the bottom up again. God recycles your shame to shape it to something useful and beautiful. Don't ever discount yourself. Don't let the past, don't let insufficiencies or what other people have said about you or rejection or the rumors, what Jeremiah's hearing on all sides around him, what you're hearing all around you, don't let that shame you, shape you into some unuseful place. Our God recycles. Nothing he creates goes to waste. So here's my question. Where do we go for shaping? We realize that, yeah, maybe I've been shaping myself. Maybe there's some shame and I've let that kind of like de-shape me and I'm, I'm sort of feel like melting snow right now. I'm out of place. When we realize this, where do we go for shaping? I know that some people go to Facebook and start talking about what they did and make themselves feel better. They get shaped there. Others of us go to the gym and get real shaped. (laughs) (laughs) You know where you go to get shaped. Where is it? Because this is where Jeremiah was told to be shaped. 18 verse 2, go down to the potter's house and there you'll hear me speak to you. Do we go to the potter's house? Jeremiah totally did. If you look at 18 verse 21, this is another part of his honest praying. It's really dramatic. And you see this in the Psalms all the time and you're like, is this okay? Should I like not read this? You'll hear what I mean. <laughs> this is the people that are plotting us his life. He says, therefore deliver up their children to famine. Can you imagine praying that for somebody? Give them over to the power of the sword. Let their wives become childless and widowed. Oh my gosh. Let, uh, may their men meet death by pestilence. Their youths be struck down by the sword in battle. This is a great prophet praying this. 
May a cry be heard from their houses when you, when you bring the plunderer suddenly upon them. For they have dug a pit to take me and laid snares for my feet. In other words, God, they want to hurt me, so hurt them worse. Verse 23, yet you, O Lord, know all their plotting to kill me. Forgive not their iniquity. He's not even praying for their conversion. Just don't even forgive them. Nor blot out their sin from your sight. Let them be overthrown before you. Deal with them in the time of your grace. In the time of your anger. Um, okay. <laughs> Reality check. Jeremiah is honest. He comes before God in prayer real. He really feels this. And don't pretend you haven't once before. Here's where this is godly. It's not telling you to mold, you know, model your prayers after this. But this is where this is godly. Jeremiah could easily take those words into his own hands. He could go beat the people up. He could go rip their children out of their homes and do unspeakable things. But he doesn't. He rather vents it before God. What's he doing? He's taking to heart that vengeance belongs to the Lord, not Jeremiah. And so he's taking the situation out of his hands and putting it in the shaper's hands. I'm not going to shape this the way I want it. I'm going to let you. So where does Jeremiah go? <laughs> the only way to take something and put it in the shaper's hands is to go to the potter's house. And there at the potter's house, Jeremiah vents it all to the potter and says, this is what I want to have happen to everybody, but ultimately I know I'm not the potter. So there you go, do what you want with it. And, and in verse 20, uh, chapter 20, verse 12, you see this echoed again, and this is the conclusion he comes to. 20 verse 12, O Lord of hosts, who tests the righteous, who sees the heart and the mind, let me see your vengeance upon them, for to you have I committed my cause. That's, that's exactly that. I have given it to the shaper's hands. I have committed my cause to you. Jeremiah didn't go tweet and text everybody about what jerks these people are. He didn't start a new denomination within Israel, the right remnant of those that don't believe the things that they believe about me and whatever, you know, the things that he's, he doesn't go do that kind of stuff. He goes to the potter's house and says, I don't even really know what to do about, I know what I want to do about it, but I don't really know how to go about doing that in a righteous way. So here, God, he doesn't self-shape. He goes to the potter's house and lets the potter do the shaping. So can I invite us, church, to go to the potter's house? Go there tonight. Go there tomorrow. Go there every single time that there is tension and the question of why was I even born going on in our heart. Identity crisis your shape versus your shame. When these things rage and wage war within us, God invites us to the shaper's house to be shaped.
to have a useful and beautiful purpose. So Father, I pray indeed for a shaping from your hands in our hearts Forgive us for succumbing to the seductive power of shame and believing the lies of the world about ourselves when your gospel declares that we are okay because of Jesus. We are enough because of Jesus. We are perfect in your sight because of Jesus. Let us see that in the potter's house. Amen.